0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We are kicking off a summer series called Blind Spots. First half of this summer, we're going to be diving into this series Called Blind Spots, based on this passage in Matthew chapter 7, which is situated in the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever had one of those conversations with somebody where, I'm not talking about a conversation with a family or a close friend, but an acquaintance, and that individual is stuck in their teeth? Yeah. Or they have something on their shirt or something, and you're kind of in that in between of, you know, should I tell them or should I just, you know, just eke it out or whatever? Who in this place is one who will just boldly tell that that acquaintance? Okay, yeah, nice, tough love, truth. You know, who who in this place is a little more timid? They, they would just rather avoid the awkwardnesses of pointing it out. And anybody? Okay, awesome. And everyone else is just kind of spontaneous. Kind of, they could be in, in in between. The whole time you're having that conversation with that person, it's hard to hear what they're saying. Am I right? You're kind of distracted by what's, what's before you, the thing in their, their tooth, and it's not a, a bad thing per se, it's just it's distracting. Or if you, maybe in your school days, we're, we're talking about high school seniors, so think back to high school days, maybe your teacher had something on their back, and every time they turned to the marker board, you saw what was on their back, and it was completely distracting. It was hard to even pay attention to what they were saying. It wasn't what, what they were saying was unimportant, it was just distracting. Those are examples of blind spots. And in our spiritual lives, God has called us to be people of influence, to bring change in the world around us. But so often, our blind spots hinder, hinder us from being people of influence and being people of true kingdom impact in this world. These blind spots that, that kind of steal the show. People see these instead of the, the, change, the gospel change that we carry by the Holy Spirit inside of us. I want us to dive into this. In Matthew chapter 7, you know God wants to use you for change? Every single person in this place, God wants to use you to bring gospel change in your family, in your work relationships, in your school, in your neighborhoods. God wants to use you to bring revival, to bring gospel change, to bring life, to change the atmosphere, of the spheres that God places you in. And here, here in, in, in this church, it's, it's a burning passion of our hearts for this to be an equipping center. This wouldn't just be a gathering, um, you know, that we sing songs and we just kind of pat each other on the back and then we leave or a social club of any sort. This is an equipping place. Ephesians chapter 4, it says, God gives us apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. For what? For the equipping of the saints. For ministry. So this is a place where we equip you. To understand the, um, the, the dimensions, of the scope, the scale of the gospel so much so that you leave here with a greater passion, greater hope, a greater faith in your heart to be people of influence, to be agents of change in this world. So that's our prayer. But oftentimes, our blind spots steal the show. And that's all people see are the blind spots. And we're not self-aware spiritually aware enough to humbly Check our hearts before the Lord and say, God, start here. Start here in my heart. So, in order to bring change around us, we need to first see the change in ourselves. Otherwise, we're the blind leading the blind. Revival starts here. That's how you could really summarize this morning. Revival starts here, it starts in you. You see a change in our society, in our world, in our neighborhood, in your family, in your marriage that your heart burns for you, you have something you, you, you want to see change come to pass, start with yourself. Say, God, start with me. Bring revival in my heart. Allow it to be a burning reality in me and not just theory outwardly, but a burning reality in here. That's where it all starts. Revival starts here. The great thinker, writer, Francis Schaefer of the 20th century, he said this boldly. He said, every abortion clinic should have a sign out front that says, open with permission by the Church of Jesus Christ, he wasn't—he wasn't being literal, but he, I mean, he was making an exaggerated point to show that we need to do some heart reflection. That anything that happens in this world around us—it's happened on our watch—and God's called us to be light in the darkness. So, we see change needed in our world, in our neighborhood, in our city. We should be ones that fall on our knees and say, "God, start with us." God, we want life to be proclaimed through us. Start with us. Any way in which we've dropped the ball, any blind spot that we've allowed to steal away our influence, our impact, God, change us, start with us. And you, could, you could apply that to any uh, large societal issue, the sexual confusion that's amongst this generation. We should be on our knees saying, God, start with us. Give us a burning conviction, a confidence and authority in your divine order of things. So that we can actually have an authority to speak into this world with true influence and true impact, and instead of them kind of laughing at us, hey, you got something in your teeth. You have these these glaring blind spots that completely steal the show. They steal our authority as the church, the Church of Jesus Christ. This may sound like a tough message, but I believe God's tilling up some some ground in our hearts to prepare us for something great. Revival starts here. Revival starts in each one of us, and revival starts right here at life point. We don't have to be pointing our fingers around our city with all the issues going on. We need to start right here. God, revival starts here. So, Matthew chapter 7, this is a really popular verse. You've heard this. Judge not that you be not judged. It's one of those popular verses of our generation. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the, the basis for this entire series called Blind Spots. Because I want us to deal with the logs in our own eyes. I want us to deal with the, the stuff that's stuck in our teeth. So we can actually have authority and influence. We can truly be light in the darkness. We can bring revival in our city. So let's unpack this, just kind of verse by verse. Just that popular verse judge not lest you be judged. You've, you've heard that before, that verse? It's really popular amongst this very tightly wound um, culture where you know, this illogical tolerance is, is it's touted as the, the highest virtue. So people love to throw that verse around, but Jesus in that verse by saying, judge not lest you be judged, he's not saying that we have to be thoughtless, we have to be unthinking, undiscerning of the world around us. Otherwise that verse six wouldn't make any sense. We have an ability to, to call what is holy, holy, That which is unholy is unholy. God is is calling us to call light and darkness what they are, to understand what is truth and and what is not. So anytime that thought comes into your mind, is influenced by this generation, you can set it aside. Jesus is calling out emphatically a very distinct type of judgment. First of all, we, we only have one Savior and one judge. His name is Jesus Christ. So we should not stand as magistrate or judge over anybody. Jesus is the judge. And every person will stand before him and give account. There's no need for us to be standing over someone in judgment over them. We come alongside them. We point them towards righteousness. We point them towards the light. We help them up. We don't push them down. But very specifically, Jesus is calling out a specific type of judgment. It's hypocritical judgment. It's this two-faced, self-righteous, merciless judgment. It's common in every generation, but it was at work in Jesus' generation. Hypocritical judgment. In verse, verses 3 through 4, then he uses that illustration to bring this to life. That illustration of a log being in one person's eye and the speck being in your brother's eye, and and you want to help them. Must be uncomfortable to have that speck in your eye. Let me help you. And and the whole time you got this massive log in your eye. It's a funny illustration, but it makes the point. And the point is our human nature to not naturally see our own junk. We have a tendency to, to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, to give ourselves grace before we extend grace to our brother, to our sister. And so we we oftentimes look past this glaring issue in our life to see this much smaller, much more insignificant issue in our neighbor's life. And and maybe it's it's not even that their their issue is insignificant. It's just that we're looking past ours and casting a sort of self-righteous condemnation upon our neighbor with the guise of trying to help them. There's such power in what we focus on. And sometimes we can get so fixated on the The irritating issues around us that we miss out and we don't actually realize that we have many of the same issues or worse issues in our own lives. There's power and focus. I found this this gift. I actually saw this in a class or a training. Can you put that up there, Veronica? That video. I saw this in a class, I can't remember, years back. But if you focus on the plus sign in the middle of the screen, just see what happens. You see what happens? No, you're not broken. So eventually, it turns green, but then eventually, what happens? The purple, the purple circles actually begin to disappear over time. and It's just a, a visual illusion, all centered around what you're focusing on. As you focus on the center, on the plus sign, eventually, all those peripheral things begin to disappear. And oftentimes, that's what happens As we focus on the sin issues of others, it's almost like we we give ourselves a pass. We hold everyone to a higher standard than ourselves. It's all based on what we're focusing on. What if we flipped the script and what if we actually heeded Jesus' challenge here, his command here, and we first held ourselves to a higher standard? You can turn that off because everyone's staring at it. If you haven't got it yet, you can look it up, just Google it, and you can do it yourself at home. uh, Because it doesn't quite work as well when it's an oval. Um, It's just the way it worked on the screen. But verse 5 brings the hope in this entire passage. It's not that that burning desire to help others, to bring change in this world, to bring change in your family, in your marriage, in your spouse, in your kids, in your neighborhood. It's not that that's bad. He's not saying we shouldn't have those desires. He's just, we need to get the order right. We need to start a new pattern for our lives. Verse 5 gives us hope. To First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we should desire to take the speck out of our brother's eye. We should want, we should want to extend that sort of mercy that actually helps them be better and move forward in victory and freedom. And to see change take place in their life. But first, we have to get the order right. We have to set a new pattern in motion that's not that's not typical for our human nature. And we first have to deal with our own issues, our own blind spots. And then we can see clearly. Then we actually have that authority to not speak in theory, but to speak out of true experience. This is what's taken place in my life. This is the freedom that I've tasted. I want you to experience that as well. And we actually come alongside of them instead of speaking down in a sort of self-righteous condemnation. You tracking with me? So, Let's unpack this a little further and apply it to our lives. How can we begin to remove the blind spots in our lives? And we're going to be unpacking this over the next several weeks. But specifically in this passage that, that sets the, the premise of the entire series, there's several key takeaways that I want us to, to focus on this morning. How can we begin to remove these blind spots in our lives? First is this. We need to stop looking past them. We need to stop looking past them. This large log in your eye, we need to choose, we need to make a decision that we're going to stop giving ourselves a pass, a free pass. And instead, we're going to start a new pattern of our lives where we look into the mirror of God's word. And you say, God, search me, know me. God, I want to be right before you. I know I'm not perfect, I haven't yet arrived. So God, search me, rend my heart, have every part of me. Stop looking past your blind spots. What I'm not talking about is like a highly anxious, endless introspection. I'm not talking about that, that paralysis by analysis where you're, you're, you're trying to find things in nooks and crannies that aren't there. I'm talking about a pattern. When you see change needed in a situation, like the whole situation with the, the Francis Schaefer quote about abortion, which was decades ago. If you see change needed in our world, the posture of the church should always be that we get on our knees and say, God, search us. How have we dropped the ball? How have we allowed this to happen? If you begin to dial that into every aspect of your life, into your marriage, into your, the the issues you see, you need that your kids need. What if what if we begin to start that pattern? Say, God, search me. How did I allow this to happen in this in this moment in my life? God, search me, know me. What part have I had to play in this? What blind spots have have stolen away my influence to bring change to see the change that's needed? I think if we use the examples in our home, this comes to life probably the most vividly. And these are inconsequential examples, but I hope it'll bring it to life. You know, if you're married to somebody, if you live under the same roof with, uh, you know, your kids and and whatnot, little quirks really start to get under your skin, right? Maybe you have a spouse or a loved one that's a really loud chewer. No pointing fingers, but they, they crunch and they crunch and it just drives you nuts. I mean, you can hear it from across the room. It's just so irritating. It's grating, and you, your mind just gets fixated on it. In that fixation, as human beings, we seem to uh, overlook our own irritating uh, habits and hangups, am I right? Maybe you, maybe you have your thing, you, you, you snore, or you uh, click your teeth, or you bite your fingernails. Maybe that's irritating to your spouse, but for some reason, we give ourselves a free pass. I'm not saying you can't address those things, but we need to be humble enough and start a new pattern where we say, we probably have some irritating things as well if we're going to live in close quarters with somebody. Here's another example. Your spouse constantly leaves their socks on the floor. It just drives you nuts. It's like, do we live in a barn. This is a complete disregard for me and a complete sign of disrespect. And you get so fixated on your spouse's uh, disregard for you and, and your desires for cleanliness and in that fixation, you completely neglect or ignore all the ways in which maybe you leave a little trail behind. The mess you leave in the kitchen. Maybe you leave, you leave your shoes in the living room, and it drives them nuts. But for some reason, in our human nature, we fixate on other people's issues, and we overlook our own issues. So I know those are inconsequential examples, so I'll, I'll give a more uh, meaningful example. I remember a year ago, as I sat time and time again with an alcoholic... This man had a desire for the Lord. He had a faith in God, but he continually found himself addicted to alcohol to the point that it was ruining his marriage. It was wrecking his kids. He had lost several jobs. Now now, he was starting to get into legal issues. His life was just being ravaged by alcoholism. And as I sat with him time and time again in my office, it was almost like he had this giant log in his eye. And in because because in my office he'd be pointing the finger at everybody else. He'd be pointing the finger at his wife and saying she disrespects me and she belittles me. She talks down to me like I'm her child. She doesn't believe in me. And he'd talk about his dad issues. Oh, my dad rejected me and my dad didn't uh, didn't show me love and therefore now I'm an alcoholic. And and then he'd blame his employer for for being judgmental towards him and his issues. And it was everybody else's issue. He was blaming everybody else when he had this giant log in his eye. <laughs> time and time again, I would just be like shaking him. I'd say, wake up. You got a log in your eye. You have to stop pointing the finger at everybody else. You have to stop blaming everybody else. You have to stop looking past your blind spots. and Get on your knees and say, God, this is my junk. Take care of it. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Give me victory today. Give me grace today to see breakthrough in this. That is the pattern of, of uh, this new pattern as a Christian that we adopt as we follow Jesus. We've got to stop looking past our blind spots. You tracking with me? Stop looking past the log in your eye. Second is this. Stop playing the hypocrisy game. And this is a game that we play. Jesus leaves no room for us to accept hypocrisy as part and parcel are synonymous with Christianity. It is, the, it is the exact opposite of Christianity, of dependence and openness and authenticity before the Lord. So we have to stop playing the hypocrisy game. There's, there's a common thought process in this generation. And maybe you talk to somebody about coming to church with you, and you say, I don't want to go to church. It's full of a bunch of hypocrites. There's been a common response to that lately that I've heard from different pastors and leaders, and they say, Yeah. Church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Just join us. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. We're all a bunch of hypocrites. Can I tell you that is not the right response? <laughs> I'm not saying that there aren't hypocrites in our church, but I sure never want that to claim. I, I never want to claim that over my own life. Jesus, if there's any sin in the, in the gospels that Jesus emphatically condemns, it's hypocrisy. Can I just share with you the definitions of hypocrisy? Easton's Bible Dictionary says this, one who puts on a mask or feigns to be what he is not. He knows he's playing games. Therefore, he puts on a mask to kind of trick people. I don't want to claim that over my life. Strong's Dictionary said, an actor under an assumed character. We don't want to be hypocrites. So we have this tension, this unnecessary tension. We feel like, well, okay, if we don't want to be hypocrites, then we have to pretend to be, or then, then like what we're saying is everyone's perfect, right? No, no, no. We're, this unnecessary tension. The third choice is this. It's authenticity. It's transparency. We say, I, I've, I'm broken. I've, I've messed up. I want to do better. I know God's grace is sufficient, and I don't, I don't want to keep struggling with these same things the next day. And we walk in transparency and authenticity with those around us. That's the third choice. That's the right choice. And that's what we need to go after as a church. We do not want to be hypocrites. And if that's people's claim of us, of you, of our church, it should cause us to get on our knees. And say, God, search us, know us. We don't want to play games anymore. We want to be the real deal. We want to be consistent. Not perfect. I'm not saying you'll, obtain, you'll attain perfection, this side of eternity. But, but the, the, the Christian life should be a growing and a maturing from glory to glory. Greater freedom. You should be, I like to think of holiness as more and more dependence on God. You should be more dependent on God tomorrow than you are today. More dependent on him 10 years from now than you are today. You realize more and more areas of your life that just need to be completely surrendered to him. That's holiness. And the reality, that's the hope of the next generation. You want your kids to serve Jesus? Contend for authenticity. Kids are the most discerning when it comes to hypocrisy and authenticity. The kids see right through the games. Isn't that fascinating? Kids' ability to discern. And time and time again, That's what begins to grate at the next generation as they see it's all a game. They're just playing games. I know my parents aren't always smiling like that at home. My parents never talk about Jesus at home. Hey, my parents are talking about God being a miracle working God, but in our home, we never talk about that. Kids see right through it. You know what the hope is for the next generation? We contend for authenticity in our homes, we seek to be the real deal. And in any areas that we begin to put on the mask, we begin to play these games, say, God, I don't want that anymore. Pain, like, we're somebody that we are not. We need to get on our knees. We say, God, I don't want that anymore. I want the, the real thing. Kids are so attracted to the authentic, the next generation. They're so attracted to actually contending for something of substance. They love it. That's why I love what uh, Miss Nicole is going going after with our kids' ministry. I mean, it's, it's the best in the city, I'm telling you. Our kids' ministry is phenomenal. The things they're going after, she doesn't belittle them. She doesn't look down at them. She, she believes God's best over their lives. So the gospel of Jesus Christ should mean something for your Monday mornings. It should mean something for Wednesdays at work. That's the gospel that Jesus gave his life for, and we can stop playing the hypocrisy game. Third is this, and this is the greater context of the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's trust Jesus with everything. Every aspect, every nook, cranny, corner of your heart and of your life, this is what Jesus is after. He's after your entire heart. In the Sermon on the Mount that this passage is is nestled within... That's, that's the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. It's that, that Jesus came to establish a kingdom, and it's not an earthly kingdom established in earthly ways, but instead it's a spiritual kingdom after human hearts. He wants to rule and reign in your heart. And for some reason in our humanity, we cling to certain aspects of our heart, and we, we, we kind of retain them for ourselves. We don't give God all that we are. And that's the way it is oftentimes with these blind spots that we'll be unpacking over the next several weeks. A lot of times these end up being kind of pet pet sins and, and areas of our life that we like to cling to. We need to begin to trust Jesus with everything. In the New Testament language, that's the way it points. It's not towards any sort of compartmentalized faith. Sunday morning Christianity you know, as Jesus talks to to Nicodemus about this, the gospel experience that he's going to make available to all of humanity, he talks about the vivid imagery of being born again. It's like, whoa, 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 what? I'm going to re-enter my mother's womb? No, no, no. You don't get it, Nicodemus. You're going to experience such change, such a radical revolution inside of you that it's going to be like you're being born again. That's how entire. Like that's how entirely. Um, That's the scale of the gospel. It's supposed to be everything about our lives is supposed to be flipped upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can trust him with everything. So any time that you see a situation or issue arise in your life, in your family, in your marriage, you can know that the gospel is relevant to that. The grace of God is relevant to whatever that is, that marital issue, the issue with your kids, the issue at work. There's not a single aspect of your life single aspect going on in our society that the gospel doesn't have something to say about, that God doesn't care about. He wants to rule and reign in all of it. There's there's more language in the New Testament where where Paul says that we are crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but he that live in me. There's no room in that language for us to to kind of retain some aspects of our life for ourselves. We are laying, we're laying it all down and we're saying, God, we trust you with everything. That it's, all, it's, it's almost like I'm being crucified with you. Death to the old me. So you can know that we are, we're not people's savior. You're not the savior of the world. God wants you to be agents of change, to be people of influence. And over the next several weeks, I'm praying That you'll leave here with more hope, with more faith, with more vision, with more confidence. That on a daily basis, as you learn to depend on God, as you learn to trust Him with all that you are, you learn to stop giving yourself the benefit of the doubt and holding everyone to a higher standard. As we begin to contend for this pattern of living, we're gonna see greater breakthrough of influence in our city, greater impact in the spheres that God has positioned us. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. I wanna end with this final illustration. of of this exact pattern being set in motion a hundred years ago and revival starting in that place, revival spilling out from that place. Exactly as I said at the beginning, revival starts here. hundred years ago, there was a move of God called the Welsh Revival, so in Wales. And one of the most prominent leaders of that move of God was a man by the name of Evan, Evan Roberts, Evan Roberts was a young 20 something that loved Jesus, wanted to give his life preaching the gospel. And he shares this story. He was sitting in a prayer gathering. This is like 1904 in Wales. He says, I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me, and my face was bathed in perspiration, and the tears flowed in streams. And this is what he cried out. He said, I cried out, Bend me, Lord, bend me. It was God's commending love which bent me. What a wave of peace flooded my bosom. I was filled with compassion for those who must bend at the judgment, and I wept. Following that, the salvation of the human soul was solemnly impressed on me. I felt ablaze with the desire to go through the length and the breadth of Wales to tell of the Savior. After that experience, Evan Roberts, he'd wake up at one in the morning, he'd pray for hours. He was invaded by this intense love of God and a deep desire to see others come to Christ. And he began to pray together with a few others, and this was the prayer of the revival. I mean, if you look up about this revival, this is the prayer that everyone points back to, and this is the prayer, bend us, Lord, bend us. They didn't give themselves a pass, and they had issues in their generation, Alcoholism and and the uh, destruction of the family in England at the time, it was bad. And instead of pointing fingers at everyone else and blaming everyone else, they said, Lord, bend us, bend me, start with me. Revival, start in my heart. And something spilled out from that place. A hundred thousand people, in just a matter of months following, over a hundred thousand people got saved, came to know Jesus. And it started in that place where they, they took ownership and said, revival starts here. Sociologists went back, historians went back, and they, they tried to trace you know, the actual lasting impact of that revival. Because it was, it was such a, an intense wave of, the move, of a move of God in such a short period of time, six months. People just flocking to churches. And it, it was across denominational lines. Historians went back five 7 years later and still 80,000 of the 100,000 were still actively a part of a church. I mean it lasted it was a lasting impact that forever shifted Wales. But it started with that posture, that pattern of saying God start with us, start right here, start in my heart. I want to see my kids encounter you. I want to see my kids change for your glory. God start in my heart. That's what I want. If everyone stand to their feet. We're going to respond to God obviously. We're talking about blind spots. So it'd be silly for you to sit up and just watch me say, bend me. Every single person in this place, you have an opportunity to respond to God right now. You all have things that God is preparing you to bring change and bring influence, to bring a lasting eternal impact into those situations. But you know it's got to start with you. It's got to start in your heart of hearts. King Jesus wants to rule and reign in a greater degree in your life. So you got to make yourself available. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to rend your own heart and say, God, I surrender all that I am. Search me and know me. Use me. And then in a moment, i may give you an opportunity if you're here in this place and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to God in that way and to make things right. You surrender your life to Jesus and start a relationship with him today. But right now, just respond to God. I'm going to give you a moment. This is a gift to you. Say, God, know me. Search me. I'm just believing that God's going to restore some marriages. God's going to restore some relationships with kids that have been broken. And it's because there's going to be a revival stirring on Monday morning. There's going to be a brokenness and a humility that drives us to depend more on God Tuesday morning. I'm going to see God, I believe this, I'm going to see God promoting different ones of you in the workplace. And it's because you're going to be walking in a greater authority and anointing because you have a revival burning in your hearts. I believe we're going to see some grandparents in this place that have such a burning, tangible authority to speak life into their grandkids. And it's because they have a revival burning in their hearts. So Lord, that's our prayer this morning. We just, we refuse to continue to look past the logs in our own eyes. And we say, God, search us, know us, start with us, start with our hearts. We trust you with all that we are, Jesus, everything in us. So secondly, if you're in this place and you want to make things right with God, if you're here and you want to start a relationship with him, or maybe you've had a relationship with him in the past, but this morning... You know you need to make things right. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand, because I'm gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray a prayer with you. If that's you in this place and you say, Drew, I wanna I wanna do that this morning. I want to start a relationship with God. Is there anybody? <laughs> awesome, I didn't see any hands. If you, if you raised your hand, awesome, I see you. If you raised your hand, or even if you didn't. You can pray a prayer like this from your heart of hearts. This is between you and the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, I have come to an end of myself. I'm so tired of trying to do this on my own. I look to you as Savior and Lord of my life. You are the sole sufficiency for my sin issue. So I turn to you. I trust in you with all that I am from this day forward. No turning back, God. I'm all yours. In your name, amen. I asked the worship team to play this song, Spirit Breakout. But I did feel also stirred in my heart as, as we were praying there just to give an opportunity for anybody in this place to experience healing in their bodies. We've been just seeing God do amazing things in our church as we've given space for the full gospel to be declared. The gospel that we actually read about in, in the Bible, the gospel of miracles and the supernatural as we've been seeing take place. I, just Someone came up to, to me after the service last, last Sunday and talked about how they had carpal tunnel in their hands and their, their, their hand was clenched up like that and God healed their hand last Sunday. We praise God. So if there's anybody in this place that, that needs a miracle in your body, would you be bold enough to raise your hand in this place? We're going to pray for you awesome yes, awesome Yes there's some big some big things that we need breakthrough in this morning I know it. I know of several of the individuals that have raised their hand, they need, they need miracles. So what that means also, if you, if you don't have your, your hand raised in this place, you need to begin to intercede on their behalf and just ask that God would move and do the miraculous this morning. So would you do that with me? God, right now we're asking for multiple sclerosis to be gone in the name of Jesus. Right now, God, healing flood through their bodies. Arthritis be gone in the name of Jesus. All pain would be gone right now. That cancer would be gone in the name of Jesus no right to be here anymore we proclaim the kingdom of Jesus that authority we claim over over these bodies that are riddled with cancer right now in the name of Jesus be made right be made new migraines be gone in the name of Jesus sleepless nights be gone in the name of Jesus depression anxiety eating disorders be gone in the name of Jesus we're proclaiming that right now we're believing. The good news of Jesus, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We believe that for today. That's your will. We see it. Deaf ears be open right now in the name of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about Life Point Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.